Well, good morning. If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, please join me in the Gospel of Luke this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. It was read to us earlier this morning. Luke, chapter 24. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. Father, thank you again for the opportunity we have to be together as your people. And I ask that right now in this moment that your Holy Spirit would speak through me and speak through the truth of your word and you would use the truth that comes from these pages to penetrate our hearts, to lead us to see things about ourselves that maybe we don't even want to see, but more so that we would see things about you that are glorious, that change us, that transform us. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Did you know that everybody is looking for something? Did you know that? Did you know that everybody is looking for something? You are. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. You say, no, I'm not. I say, yes, you are. You're looking for something. Everybody's looking for something. Now, if you don't Believe me, then I want you to listen to this song because there's a band that wrote this, about this reality that everybody's looking for something. Just listen. Okay. Hold on, here it comes. Okay, okay. Okay, everybody's looking for something. Now here's the problem. Listen. Now, being as, a, as an 80s kid, that, that brings back a lot of memories, okay? Both of those songs do. But the Eurythmics, all right, the 1980s band, they wrote a song that says, it describes us that everybody is looking for something. But U2 describes the problem. We still haven't found what we're looking for. Everybody's looking for something, but we still haven't found what we're looking for. Can I suggest to you, you say, well, what is it that we're looking for? Let me suggest to you what I think everyone is looking for. Here's what I think everyone is looking for. They're looking for that life. They're looking for that life. Let me give you some examples. For you, you're looking for that life where you always have enough money in your bank account. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for that life. Or maybe you're looking for, for the life where you're married and everything's happy, so you're looking for that life. That You think that that life will bring you fulfillment, it will complete you. Or maybe that life for you, what you're looking for is to be fit or to get to a certain weight, to get down to a certain weight or to get up to a certain weight. Right? Maybe for you, that life is someone else's life. You look at them and you go, if I could just have that life, then everything would be great. If I could just have that life. Or maybe that life for you is just a life where you and your spouse just get along. You just get along. That's the life. And everybody's looking for for that life. Fill in the blank. What is that life for you? What is it? And what is it for me? But the problem is that that life doesn't satisfy. It won't fulfill you. 
You see, maybe that life for you is a life where just your kids are successful and they're healthy. Whatever it is, what's that life? But there's a problem. You see, there's a a wise and successful king who had that life. He had princesses, power, prestige, palaces, pleasure. He had that life. And listen to what he had to say after he had acquired that life. This is what he said. He said, everything is meaningless. Completely meaningless. And listen, we all know of people, right? We all know people who have chased after that life and who acquired it, and they ended up dissatisfied, discouraged, or realizing that it's not enough, even after acquiring that life. Why? Because that life is never intended, nor is it capable of completing you, of fulfilling you, of satisfying that longing that's inside of you. You see, this is our problem. You and I are looking for and living for the wrong thing. So we go looking for it in the wrong places. You and I are trying to find that life when in reality what we need is the life. We're pursuing that life when what we really need, what our hearts are craving and crying out for is the life. And that's why Easter, listen, that's why Easter is so important. That's why Easter is such good news. That's why the stone being rolled away, the folded grave clothes, the empty tomb is so important because it's in that moment on Jesus' road to resurrection, it's in that moment when God says to you, listen, there is life, and he reveals to us where it can be found. And as it was read to us earlier in Luke chapter 24, if we were to back up just a few verses, the setting is this. Jesus has gone to the cross He's died a bloody death. He's taken upon Himself the judgment you and I deserve for our sins against God. He's breathed His last. And now a secret disciple named Joseph, who's from a Jewish town of Arimathea, he goes to the Roman government and he requests permission to be the one to take down the bloody, dead body of Jesus. To take it down from the cross. So he goes to the Roman government and he asks permission to be the one to do that. And the Roman government grants him permission. And they say, yes, Joseph of Arimathea, you can be the one to take down the dead body of Jesus from the cross. And so he does that. He, he takes the dead body. I don't know how, but he goes to the cross of Jesus. He, he somehow takes out the, the nails from the hands and the feet and he takes down the dead body and he He wraps it up and he himself becomes a bloody mess and he wraps up the dead body of Jesus in roughly 75 pounds of linen and spices and he wraps it up and hurriedly he wraps it up because Sabbath is coming so he's not supposed to work on the Sabbath so he's trying to get all this done. So he's hurrying along and he wraps up the dead body of Jesus in in the linen cloth and then somehow he carts the dead body of Jesus to his family's cemetery where there's a tomb. And he begins to cart the dead body of Jesus to his family cemetery. And there's an empty tomb for the moment. And he begins to carefully take the dead body of Jesus and lay it inside the tomb. The tomb for his own family. But here's what's interesting. While all this is going on, there's a ladies' Bible study nearby. All right, there's a ladies' Bible study and they're watching all of this go down. 
They're watching how Joseph takes down the body of Jesus. They're watching how he wraps the body of Jesus, trying to give him in a quick form and quick way a proper burial. They're watching. They follow Joseph to this family cemetery. And they watch how he carefully places the dead body of Jesus inside the tomb. We, we don't, it doesn't share with us their motive or the reason why, but I, I think these, these women loved Jesus. They cared for him. But because it was almost Sabbath, they, were, they saw that Joseph was in a hurry to try to get all this done. And so they're watching this and, and they wanted to, to give Jesus a proper burial. So they follow Joseph to the tomb. They kind of leave their markings there and say, okay, that's where it is. So we'll come back after Sabbath and we'll come and give Jesus a proper burial. And that's exactly what they do. They return home. They get all their spices together. They observe Sabbath. Then the next morning, Sunday morning, they meet at the local coffee shop in Jerusalem. They get all together and they say, hey, do you have your stuff? Did you bring your stuff? Yes. All right, now let's go together. So they all head down and they walk down to the tomb where Jesus was laid. And so they, they get to the tomb. And I can just hear some of the conversation, right? Well, what about that stone? How in the world are we going to remove that stone? And one lady pipes, I don't know, but let's just go anyway. We'll just go anyway. We'll figure it out when we get there. Let's just go. And so, all right, we'll go. And so they go and they get there and they show up. And what happens? They get to the tomb and the stone is removed. Now, I think, it doesn't say, but I think at that point the women are excited. I think they're like, wow, we don't know how it's going to, but now we can at least go in and give Jesus a proper burial. Now we can do this. All right, one problem has been solved. The stone's been removed. So then they, they go together and they enter the tomb fully expecting to give Jesus a proper burial. And what they find is the miracle of all miracles. They find the miracle of all miracles. And while they're inside the tomb, they hear a voice. A voice that calls out to them. A voice that asks them a very critical and important question that is relevant to everyone in this room. And this is, of all the moments in Jesus' road to resurrection, all of them, this is the most critical, this is the most important. Because without this moment, Jesus would be known as a liar, those who follow him would be known as fools, and the foundational rug from which we follow Jesus would be pulled out from underneath us without this moment. And this moment in his road to resurrection is the most critical, and it's the best news because it's here at the empty tomb, the the stone being rolled away, the folded grave clothes where God reveals to you and reveals to me the life you and I need and where it can be found. It's here where God says to us, and here's the truth I want us to grab a hold of this morning. Here it is. This is the truth that I think God wants us to see this morning and believe. It's this, that the living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. The living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. Now, let me unfold two lessons that I believe are here for us in this moment, this conversation between the angels and these women. So if there's one truth you walk away with this morning, this is it. The living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. And there's a lesson that comes out of this. And the first lesson I want us to see here this morning is this, that you won't find the life where the life can't be found. You won't find the life where the life can't be found. Look at the angel's question. Verse 5, it says, Why do you seek among the dead? Why do you seek among the dead? Now let's, let's take a little bit of a closer look at who's actually at the tomb here. This is a group of women. And Luke goes on to tell us a few of their names. In verse 10, he tells us that it's Mary Magdalene, 
Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and other women were with them as well. So these were women that had been in the presence of Jesus. They had physically eyewitnesses of who Jesus is. They had been influenced personally, and their families had been affected by this person, Jesus. One of who which is Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus shows up, when she meets Jesus, she's demon-possessed. And Jesus releases these demons from her. So this woman is incredibly impacted by the person of Jesus. Another woman at the tomb is the mother of James and John, who were two disciples of Jesus. You can imagine when the boys came home after a weekend with Jesus and they sat down at the dinner table, the stories they told mom around the table of this Jesus. So this family was incredibly impacted. You have Mary at the tomb, released from demon possession by Jesus. You had the mom of two disciples, incredibly impacted by this person of Jesus. Luke tells us earlier in his historical account of, of Jesus' life that these women had supported Jesus' ministry. They were the ones that wrote the check and sent it to his ministry every week or every month. They supported his ministry, right? They, they served, they, they helped, they maybe made meals for the disciples as they went on their trips and gave them packed lunches. I don't know, but it just says that they were supportive of his ministry. And we know that they were at the crucifixion. We know that they were at the cross. And they were absolutely sincere about giving Jesus a proper burial. Because that's why they were at the tomb. But here's what's interesting. They had spent all this time around Jesus, but they still missed the life. They still missed it. Because they were fully expecting a dead Jesus. That's why they were at the tomb. They were at the tomb, not expecting to see a living Jesus, but expecting to see a dead one. That's why they were there. They're looking for a dead Jesus. They prepared spices. So, so why are they there? Why are they looking for a dead Jesus? Cut to the chase because they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't believe him. Jesus had told them in his teachings at his Bible studies where they were there. He told them, listen, I've got to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. That's what the angel reminds them in verse 6 and 7. He says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, on the th be crucified and on the third day rise? Jesus had told them this truth and yet they fully expected to find a dead Jesus. Why? Because they didn't believe him. So there's some application there for us. Listen, you can grow up in church. You can go to mass every weekend. You can go to Bible studies. You can serve. You can do all this stuff and still miss Jesus. Still miss the life that he has waiting for you. You can do all that and still miss it and still miss the life that he is. But then the angels, they ask a very critical question. Why do you seek among the dead? And if we were to pick apart this question, there, the word seek there means to go about. It means to endeavor. It means to crave. It means to be about. And among the dead simply means among the dead. Corpse, buried. You're in a cemetery. In essence, the angel's going, why are you going about, going after, making your life, pursuing things that are dead? Things that can't bring you life. Why are you looking for life here in a cemetery? This is where dead things are. You won't find what you're looking for here because what you're looking for is not here. That's his question. And in, in, in some ways, I, I wonder if he's kind of rebuking or correcting the women. He's saying, listen, you're looking for the wrong thing, so you're in the wrong place. You won't find the life 
here because a life can't be found where you're looking. It can't be found where you're looking. Listen, we are no different than the ladies at the tomb. Good intention, sincere, committed, religious possibly. And yet we're missing the life that's right in front of us. We're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for that life when what we need is the life. And we spend all our time chasing that life. And in the end, it will never complete us, never fulfill that longing because we were made for the life. We were made for Him. And we keep pursuing these dead things because we simply refuse to believe Jesus. It's like we we're walking through a cemetery, right? It's like we're walking through a cemetery trying to find life. And all you're going to find are tombstones. That's all you're going to find in a cemetery. Just, we're trying to find life in something that can't give it to us. We can't get it from those things. You're not going to find a life where life can't be found. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are your tombstones? Where, what and where are you trying to find the life where the life can't be found? Is it in your spouse, possibly? Is it in your work, your career? Maybe this relationship that you know isn't going anywhere, but you're just afraid to let go of it? Because you're afraid that what happens next? Maybe it's you're trying to find some kind of life and maybe an addiction. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or whatever it might be and you're trying to get some kind of life from that. Maybe it's through trying to be fit or whatever it might be, going to the gym, all these different things. And a lot of times I think we, we know those things don't bring life, so we try to suppress them and we suppress them by just avoiding the question altogether. So let me ask you, what's your tombstone this morning? Where are you trying to find life where life can't be found? Stop. Stop it. Stop trying to find life in something or someone where it cannot be found. You won't find the life where the life can't be found. So just stop. Stop. So then you say, well, okay, if if these ladies, if what they're looking for isn't found inside the tomb then where is it found? And here's the good news, right? This is the good news, right? Here's the next lesson for us. The living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. Look at what he says. The angel asks the ladies a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They weren't looking for the living. They weren't. They were going to prepare a dead body for burial, They weren't looking for the living. But wrapped inside this bottled question of the angel is an incredible truth. And the message is this. Jesus is alive. He's alive. And don't you love the evidence that the the angel gives? He says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Here's the evidence. He's not here. He's not here. He's risen. For the angel, that just seems to be enough evidence right there. And that's all you need to know. If he was dead, he'd be inside the tomb. The fact that he's not inside the tomb means he's not here, which means then he's alive. Now, when I go home, I've got four four children. When I go home and I walk in the door, I see child one, child two, child three. Where's child four? Andrea, where's child four? Oh, he's up the road playing with the neighbors. Hey, have a seat. Give me a list of it. I want to make, I don't really, I need to know for sure that he's up the road all right, with the neighbor. Let's sit down, let's think through this. No, for the angel, it was kind of like this common sense. Jesus is alive. How do you know that? Because he's not inside the tomb. 
He's not here. The evidence for his being alive is the fact that he's not inside the tomb. And the angels are saying, ladies, not only are you looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place, what you're looking for is not dead. He's not dead. Jesus is who you should be looking for. Jesus is the life. Jesus himself said it. Listen, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Listen, if you have Jesus, you have the life, and you have a life that conquers death. Death is not the end for someone that has the life who is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you have Jesus who is the life, you have a life that's truth, that's real. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So when you have Jesus who is the life, it's sustaining life, it's satisfying life. Is it easy life? Absolutely not. But is it a life that takes care of you? Is it a life where you know that he's there? Yes. And Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You may think you're experiencing life now, but the life you were intended to live is a life where you have him, Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, when you have Jesus, the life, not only do you get different life, you get new life. And some of you this morning, that's exactly what you need. You need new life. And John, one of Jesus' closest friends, closest disciples, he summed it up best when he said, He who has the Son, Jesus, has life. And he who does not have the Son does not have life. Why is Jesus the life? Why? Well, Scriptures tell us that he's the one who created life. But I think here we see that Jesus is the life because he's conquered death. He's defeated death. Death, sin, hell, Satan could not keep him inside the tomb. He's stronger. You see, when, when Jesus, the fact that Jesus overcame death reveals just how strong his life really is. Is that not the kind of life I need and want? Absolutely. I want that kind of life. I need that kind of life. And Jesus says, I'm it. Take me. And I think what, what we try to do sometimes is we, we have these tombstones where we're trying to find a life. We're trying to get these things to try to complete us or fulfill us or satisfy us. And we, we try to dress it up and we try to justify why we keep going after those things. And in the end, it's just going to leave us empty and wanting more. This past week, I had um, the honor of attending a funeral. Um, it was a funeral for Kathy Myers. She's our living kids director for her father who passed away and for the grandfather of their son, Rob Myers. And I had the honor of attending the funeral on Thursday evening. Or Thursday, yes, Thursday evening. And went to the burial service. And where they placed his body was on a a cemetery on a hillside. Obviously, as you can imagine, covered with tombstones. But what was interesting to me as I looked on that hillside was that almost every tombstone had flowers around it. Had flowers around it. But you're not thinking about the flowers. Why? Why? You're in a cemetery. That's where you are. Your focus is on death, not life. That's where our focus is. And I think sometimes we just go through life, and and here in one place at the cemetery, you had death and you had life, and it's kind of like we walk through life, and all we're focusing on, all we're pursuing are these things that will only leave us empty. And meanwhile, Jesus is right there, and he's saying, just take me. Walk out of the cemetery. I'm the life, and walk with me. Just go with me. I'm the life. 
And you're trying to find it in someone, you're trying to find it in your career, you're trying to find it in whatever, and it will never, ever complete you, satisfy you in any way because you were not made for that. You were made for Him. And so the question for us this morning is, do you have the life? Have you taken the living Jesus? And if not, then my question to you is, then why are you seeking the living among the dead? And if you're here and you have the life, why are you still staring at tombstones? Things that can't satisfy you. Why are you still trying to go after those things and trying to find your satisfaction, your completeness, or your fulfillment in those things? Listen, I relate to this all the time. All right, even as someone who has Jesus, can I be completely vulnerable and honest with you right now? All right, there are times when after Sunday morning, I go home and I'm incredibly discouraged. I don't know why. All right, because I'm trying, well, let me, I do know why. Here's why, because I'm trying to get life out of this thing. All right, I'm trying to get life out of, well, how did people, you know, would they like it? Do they care? What happened? You know, all these different questions that go through my head. And last Sunday, it was like, I'm an idiot. I, I, I'm trying to get life out of something that can't give me life. My life's in Jesus. I got the life in me. He's in me. That's all I need. We keep staring at tombstones and Jesus is going, what are you doing? I love you. I went to the cross for you. I came back to life for you. That's how much I love you. So the question is, do you have the life? And if not, then why are you seeking the living among the dead? And if you have the life, then stop staring at the tombstones and start staring at Jesus. Because he's the life. And so if the living Jesus is the life you're looking for, and he is then what's your response? I think our response is the same as these women this morning. Look, the angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember, I love that. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? In fact, they don't even ask it as a question, right? It's a statement. He's like, remember this. Here's your response. Remember why he died and remember why he came back to life. And then what's the next phrase? Love it. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. I absolutely love that. That's the response. The response to us for us this morning is simple. Just remember why Jesus died. Jesus went to the cross because you and I are sinners. And because God is holy and a good judge, he must sentence the guilty. And that sentence is separation for you and me as sinners, separation from Him forever in hell. That's that's our sentence. But because He loves us so much, He took your punishment, He took my punishment on the cross so that through His sacrifice, you could be forgiven, declared righteous, and with Him forever. Never forget why Jesus died. Remember For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and the wages of sin is death. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then remember why He came back to life. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead so that He could defeat death and give us new life to those who believe Him and receive Him and take Him. You see, this is what we need, not just a different life. We need new life. The Apostle Paul said, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Life, And I think at this moment when it says they remembered his words, I believe it was in that moment when the women remembered Jesus, remembered who he was, remember why he died, that they in that moment believed him and received the life. And the angel's message to the women at the tomb is the same message to you and to me. 
Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Stop trying to find that life. The life is who you need. The living Jesus is who you need. The living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. You will not find the life where the life can't be found. The living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. Watch the screen. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? A question that cuts right to the heart. That day, the women found an empty tomb that once held a crucified Christ. So the angels asked them this very profound question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? That same question echoes in our hearts today. Why do we seek life in things that lead to death? Why do we look for a savior in all the wrong places? We want to live life to the fullest, but we chase the things that ultimately kill us. Why do we search for fulfillment in emptiness? Why do we seek the living among the dead? But that same question contains a sense of celebration. The ultimate sacrifice of Jesus was successful. Death couldn't stop him, hell couldn't hold him, and sin couldn't beat him. Jesus died so that we could live. He took our place, accepting the death that we deserve so that we could live with him forever. Because of his sacrifice, our lives don't end with death. And now we can celebrate, not because he was crucified, but because he rose. Not because he died, but because he lives. And when we gather together in his name, he is with us. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not there. He is here. Everyone is looking for something. Everyone is looking for something. Everybody. And you can find what you're looking for outside the empty tomb. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And this living Jesus is here. He's here. And so you say, well, so what now, Mark? What now? Listen, maybe you walked in this morning, you've been looking, you've been trying to find what you're looking for, and and you've been unsuccessful because what you've been looking for has not been Jesus. And so what now for you is simply just, the Bible speaks of just repentance. Acknowledge your sin before God. 
Acknowledge your sin before him. Remember why he died. Remember why he rose. Acknowledge your sin right where you sit. In the quietness of your heart, just acknowledge your sin to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I know it. And I believe that you went to the cross for me. I believe that you came back from the tomb alive for me to give me new life, to give me the life that I was created to have. And so for you, the response is simple. Just take Jesus. Stop staring at the tombstones. Walk out of the cemetery and take Jesus. Take him. He's the life. He's the life. That's your response. And if you already have the life, for us, the response is stop looking at that. Look at him. Get your eyes on Jesus. Oh, I need that. Get your eyes on him again. In a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to respond to this living Jesus through communion. It's kind of an Easter tradition for us as a church family with Living Church. But I need to remind you that the living Jesus is the life you're looking for because the living Jesus is the life. He who has the Son has life. And if you have Jesus this morning, you have all the life you need. All the life you need. So it's time to remember. It's time to respond. And as we take the bread, it symbolizes the broken body of Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross. The cup symbolizes His blood which was shed, for without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. And if you're here and you have the life who is Jesus, please partake at the table. And partake at the table with a heart of gratitude for who He is and what He's given you. But maybe you're here this morning and your response is right now, Right now, I am walking away from the tombstones of my sin. I am taking Jesus this morning. I too want you to go to the table. And at the table, you will find petals, flower petals. And if this morning your response is, I'm taking Jesus, then as you take the bread and the cup, I also want you to take a flower petal. There's nothing supernatural about the petal. It's just a, a way to signify that today, on this day, I am taking the life who is Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, you also make your way to the table and you take a petal just to signify that today, on this day, on this Easter, you're taking Jesus, who is the life. And I'm going to pray in a moment. And after I pray, just take a moment right where you sit and just talk to the Lord. What's your response to him this morning? When you sense your heart is ready, make your way to the communion table. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, eat, and return to your seat in celebration. In celebration for the living Jesus who is here. Lord Jesus, thank you that we serve you a living Savior. And I love it. He's not here, the angel said. He's risen. You are alive. You are the life, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. We respond to you now. For you are the life we're looking for. You are the life we need. Amen.